Welcome to the Healthy and Happy Podcast, a workshop-style podcast hosted by yours truly, Julie Brewer. I'm a blogger and holistic nutrition coach on a mission to help women live healthier, happier lives and show up as the strongest, most confident version of themselves. In this podcast, we get real about all things nutrition, fitness, and personal development to help you cut through all the BS and transform your body and most importantly, your life. Sound good? Let's dive in. What's going on, my loves? Welcome back to another episode of the Healthy and Happy Podcast. Today is a very special day. We have our first male guest besides, of course, my lovely husband. Today, we have one of my dearest guy friends, Andrew Wilhelm, on the podcast. And let me just say, you ladies know I am super protective of you. And I would not bring a dude onto this podcast into our sacred space if I didn't think that it wasn't going to absolutely change your life. Andrew and I had a conversation for over three hours as we were recording this podcast. Don't worry, this podcast episode is not three hours. This is not the Joe Rogan show. But this conversation even changed my life, so I know it will be super impactful for you as well. This one I think will be appropriate for both men and women, so although the Healthy and Happy podcast is primarily focused on developing a healthier relationship with food and your body, and we talk a lot about women's wellness... This conversation could be very beneficial for your partner, for your husband, because we do talk a lot about relationships, how to show up as a good partner, and of course we chat all about training. But before we get into the specifics about what we talk about in this episode, I want to let you in on some insight about who Andrew is as a person. Andrew is my fitness coach, and we've worked together twice now, both times when I've been postpartum with my children. I started working with him around 10 months after Leo was born, and then again, I started working with him pretty soon after Jack was born, probably 12 weeks after Jack was born, because it was so beneficial the first time that I wish I had done it sooner. So I did. As a coach, Andrew's greatest passion is to help people develop a positive relationship with their fitness, kind of like I do with food, he does with fitness, which is why we get along so well. He specializes in working with people who are new to fitness or just returning to fitness and really helps you to develop a routine that you can be proud of. If there's a single coach in the industry that's in integrity with what they coach on, it's Andrew. I mean, the guy has even done a freaking Ironman, okay? That says a lot about a person if you can do an Ironman 70.3. Come again? Who does that? Andrew does it. He's just an all-around great guy, and I want to share a quick personal story with you because this is one of the most impactful experiences of my life, and this perfectly describes the type of person Andrew is. So there was a time about a year and a bit ago where I was going through one of the hardest seasons of my life. At this time, we had moved about two and a half hours away from the city we currently live in, and we were back visiting Mark's parents, and we were staying in the basement, and I was going through a very emotionally and physically difficult time. I think Mark had texted Andrew and just told him, hey, Julie's having a really difficult time right now. I think they were just having a conversation about it. I don't know how this happened, but Andrew texted me and said, pretty much get dressed, get your ass up. I'm dragging you from Mark's parents' basement and we're going to get coffee. And if you've ever been depressed or if you've ever been in a really difficult season of your life, you understand the impact of that. Somebody saying, 
hey, get dressed. I'm taking you out of your house because A, that's the last thing you want to do. And B, what most people do, and they are very well-intentioned, is they'll say, hey, I know you're going through a tough time. Let me know if there's anything I can do. No, that's not the kind of person Andrew is. (laughs) Andrew's like, bitch, get dressed. We are going out. I am helping you get out of this funk. And I just remember us going out for coffee and we sat there. I just remember feeling I feel so bad for him because I'm not offering a lot to this conversation. I just feel depressed. I'm like sad. I felt like I was complaining a lot, but he was just there. He held space for me. He didn't judge me. And even to this day, I think back on that experience. And right now it makes me super emotional because at that period of my life, I was feeling so alone. And to have a friend who's willing to show up for you to say, get dressed, get ready. We're leaving. I'm taking you out. I don't expect you to be so happy and optimistic and chipper and wonderful to be around right now. I just want to be with you because you're going through a hard time. That was definitely one of the most impactful experiences of my life. And that's why I'm so excited for you guys to hear from Andrew today, because we talk about everything from his fitness philosophy, how he trains his clients, how he helps people stay motivated and consistent, the most common obstacle and struggle he hears from his clients and what he tells them to do, what he would say to somebody who says, Andrew, I'm just not motivated. I'm not enjoying my training right now how to come back from a rock bottom moment. When you look at yourself in the mirror and you don't even recognize yourself, you're so far from where you want to be. How do you pull yourself out of that? What are some tangible steps you can take? How to develop a really strong relationship with yourself, how to show up as a better partner in your relationships, and how to be the type of partner that you want to have. I already said this, but this conversation genuinely changed my life. I walked out of this interview motivated to be a better person. And that is what it's like to be friends with Andrew. You talk to him and he just makes you want to be a better person. He just has such a contagious love for life. He's just so grateful to be alive every single day. And every time I'm around him, I just want to be better. And that is the kind of friend and coach we all need in our lives. Somebody who holds us to such a high standard. There's a quote I love, and I think this describes my relationship with Andrew perfectly. It says, authentic friends tell the truth. They don't stand by quietly as you self-destruct. At your lowest, they remind you of your capability. They challenge and support you to be your best self. That's a quote from the holistic psychologist, and I sent it to Andrew immediately when I saw it because I was like, yup, if there's anybody that tells me the truth, it's Andrew. And if you know Andrew, you know he is direct, he's to the point, and that's because he loves you and cares about you enough to want to see you live up to your fullest potential. So I know I'm really hyping this guy up right now. You're like, who is this Andrew guy? What is he going to say that's so groundbreaking and inspiring? And I really just encourage you to listen to this episode because not only are there really important takeaways that can help you change your life, just being in Andrew's energy for the next hour will hopefully help you absorb some of that desire to be a better person, to show up as the best version of yourself, and to really take control of your life. As a quick side note, he also tells the story of how he started dating his wife, Brie, which is hands down one of the most beautiful women in the world, and I am equally obsessed with her. But it's so funny because she was so freaking persistent, and I was actually dying laughing at the story because it is so hilarious how they ended up together. So definitely stay tuned for that part as well, because if you're single right now and you want a man, Brie's going to teach you (laughs) how she got Andrew, okay? It's hilarious. Without further ado, welcome Andrew Wilhelm to the Healthy and Happy Podcast. Welcome, Andrew, to the Healthy and Happy Podcast. You are the first 
man on our podcast besides Mark. That is a huge, huge honor. It's a huge honor because yeah. I'm very protective of my ladies oh, and I don't want to just bring any man on the podcast. I like that. And uh, I think that's a big point of pride for me to be able to represent men on the uh, Healthy and Happy podcast. So thank you for having me. Of course. So today, not only are we going to be talking about training and fitness and all the things that Andrew does best, he's my fitness coach, as we talked about in the intro to this episode. We are also going to be talking about relationships and how to show up for yourself, how to show up for your spouse or your significant other. Andrew is married to one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen in my life. We're going to get into all of that today. Tell us a little bit about your fitness philosophy. We know you're a coach. We know what you do. Tell us about how you got to where you are. Fitness philosophy has gone through many iterations. I was at first a football athlete in high school and college. And obviously that was very strength oriented. And then I got into endurance sport and I got huge on like the perseverance and endurance side of things. Very uh, carry the boats mentality. Got into CrossFit and that continued on for a long time. And then I read this wonderful book called Anti-Fragile by Nassim Tlaib, and it changed my entire life, but it really educated my fitness philosophy, and it's something that I try and get across to all of my clients and all of our members here at Athlete Farm. Basically, the premise of the book is that you are anti-fragile not by being durable, but by being made better by the worst outcome. And so when you take on that outlook, what happens is you become liberated from extensive negativity because when each of those negative moments present themselves in your life, you end up looking for the small nugget of progress that can come from each of those. And that may fall into the category or the bin of being perhaps toxically positive, but I do believe that there, there are many, many opportunities to be able to move forward when things are worse. And so with my clients and my philosophy on training, essentially the pretense is that, you know, it's literally never going to be perfect. There's never going to be, we're dealing with a puppy here. Um, it's never going to be the circumstances that you need it to be. And if it is, that will only persist for maybe a day or two before things start to fall off the rails. And so I'm trying to help people understand that regardless of the circumstances of your life, you need to just go out and put your best foot forward on that given day. And that the accumulation of enough of those days in a row is enough to develop the type of self-confidence that leads to long-term fitness outcomes that are in line with your goals. So I'm, I'm basically trying to use the principles of anti-fragile to teach people to you know, approach their fitness with a more long-term outlook. Okay. So tell me what that tangibly looks like on a client by client basis. You can use me as an example. So this is my second time working with Andrew. The first time I worked with him, I think I started when Leo was 10 months old. Mm -hmm. I started much sooner after Jack's birth. What, like eight weeks? No. 12 12 maybe? Yeah. Okay. So we've been on and off postpartum journey, me going through having babies, doing all this stuff. This is the most chaotic my life has ever been. Mm -hmm. And you have been so lovingly encouraging, but very firm and like, hey, I know you deserve better for yourself. You can do better. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So use me as an example of somebody who has every excuse in the world to not show up and do their fitness because life is busy. They have kids. They have everything else going on. How do you build that mental resilience and continue to show up for yourself? I think accounting for the math of your life is like a really good piece of advice for people in a scenario like you are. Like you said, you have every reason to, to be preoccupied doing more, way more important things than coming to the gym and doing bicep curls and leg press. 
what I struggle with is anyone telling me that they have 168 hours in a week and not only not even one of them is available to you for personal development by way of fitness. And that was the advice I gave to you a few weeks ago. It's okay to miss a day. It's okay to miss two days in a row. It's okay to have a string of five days where you're sick. But eventually on a seven day time span, there's got to be one or two hours for you to stretch, walk, run, lift a couple of weights, do a few pushups. Because ultimately with people like you and people in your scenario, the goal that we're focusing on is developing a routine so that when you have more space in your life to train harder and with more intensity and maybe more often, you've already built up the routine of the non-negotiable of I go to the gym. I have a weekly obligation to get in the gym and train and I, under any circumstances, will make sure that happens, except for in extreme circumstances. And even in those situations, that very next day I'm getting up again and I'm going to take another swing at it. So staying focused on tiny little commitments and routine building is really the best solution for people with brand new children who aren't sleeping super well. You know, those are typically the people who want to see the results the most because they've obviously just gone through a continental change in their body. And so being able to approach it with tiny micro steps is going to be a a much better long-term solution. Staying away from super high intensity or getting way over committed on a given week or two week span and then you're burnt out the following week like i would say a lot of the time with new moms especially what i'm trying to do is hold them back a little bit and just say i know you want to be in the gym for 65 or 70 minutes today but 40 is plenty and it's going to give you the energy to come back tomorrow and it's going to give you the energy to go home and still be very effective in your family so it's a different approach obviously person to person but with new moms that's that's kind of the mind space i take when coaching them one of the mindsets that you've really helped me internalize or embody, I guess is a better way to say it, is this chipping away mentality where it's like you literally are just chipping away at a goal and it doesn't have to be a specific goal. Sometimes it's okay to just have arbitrary, I want to get fit, I want to be strong, I want to have energy for my family, get some endorphins so I'm not a complete raging, you know what, <laughs> and unloading on my family. Like I need an outlet for my stress. And another point you just made, which I think is very powerful, is there's never going to be a perfect time One of the biggest things I tell my clients all the time in terms of nutrition is, you know, people will say, oh, I'll start working with you when I'm back from vacation, when summer's over, I'm not in routine right now, it's not a good time. But I'm like, if we can figure this out right now when your life is chaotic and you're traveling and you're maybe you just had a baby or whatever your life circumstances are, if we can figure it out in these super busy seasons, it'll automate things and make them a thousand times easier when you actually come back. And that's where you build that resilience as you're talking about. But can you kind of talk to them about what you told me in terms of the chipping away mentality? Because that was life-changing for me. Yeah, I I think the advice was essentially, am I allowed to swear? Fuck it, do it anyway. You know, like that was essentially the advice. Like you're chronically fatigued because you have a baby that's not in a regular sleep schedule right now. And obviously you have every reason to not come in here, but you got to say, fuck it and do it anyway. Because like you just said, there are going to come times where your life is way busier, which is probably hard to imagine. Like, obviously you will be having a better quality of sleep at that point in your life, perhaps, but you're going to at four o'clock, take one kid to a practice and then drop another kid off somewhere else and then pick them up two and a half hours later. And then you got to feed everybody and they're up for school at 7am the next day. Like it's not going to get any easier. So it's, it's about making a non-negotiable, non-negotiable agreement with yourself that you're just going to say, fuck it and do it anyway, because you know, it's good for you. And, or like you just said, as, as far as goals, yeah, goals are super important and you know, we need to be motivated and we need to have things that we're chasing down to stay energetic with 
respect to our routine, but there needs to be things in your life that you're like, whether or not I ever, you know, yield fruit from this tree, I'm going to water it because I know that that's the right thing for me to do. And that's kind of the mindset I was trying to communicate to you with respect to chipping away. So hopefully that answers the question. Yeah. And my thing is like, what's the alternative Mm -hmm. for me specifically? What am I going to do instead? Just stay home for an hour and be sad. And then I'm texting you like, Andrew, I'm not motivated. Can you help me? I want to talk through that too, because I had this kind of breakdown moment last Mm -hmm. weekend. Was it? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But I was like, I'm not motivated. Like, I'm not really enjoying the workouts. I feel like I should be enjoying this more. And I feel like I'm doing the same workouts over and over again. This is nothing against Andrew as a coach, because that's literally how you see progress is progressively overloading and getting better and better each week. But my consistency has not been the best. And so I was like help me Andrew (laughs) and he you can tell them what you told me about not having to enjoy it yeah well I mean there's like there was a couple things I wanted to get across first of all it's a testament to how beautiful your life is that fitness is not that exciting anymore you know and I've been swallowing that pill for a while you know as my life gets more and more exciting and you know I have a beautiful relationship with my wife and now we have a dog that I'm preoccupied with and I have incredible friends and family and business obligations fitness is something I do because it's good for me it's not because I love it like yeah I enjoy it and I definitely don't ever want to get to a place where I go to the pool party and I'm like oh I would rather not get in the pool and that keeps me motivated but it's not like I'm in there training like wow this is like a roller coaster ride of excitement so fun. not fun it's not that fun it kind of sucks actually and so you kind of have to swallow the pill of Like everything you do in your life cannot be for some sort of positive reward. There has to be things that you do like cleaning up the dog poop in the backyard because you don't want your backyard full of dog poop. Like that's not fun, but it's something that has to get done. You know, imagine you had that philosophy with everything in your life. Like, you know what? I'm not really enjoying my job today, so I'm just not going to go. You would get fired. Right. So why are there not the same implications when you choose to not do something that you know is good for yourself? Mm-hmm. I mean, there there are implications. Like you generally feel like shit yeah. and you're tired. You're more tired. Right. That's a thing. Like I think what I have realized through being so sleep deprived, like the most sleep deprived I've ever been is that energy begets energy. Right. Like you have to create energy. It doesn't just happen by sitting on the couch. It's right. like that feeling when you're in the car all day mm. and you're like, oh, I have no energy. You, right. Your body's not physically tired. It's just been in a stagnant state the whole day. Yeah. So the thing that creates energy is by getting up and moving. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to us too about, I, I want to be clear. We're not saying like, fuck it, do it anyway. Like hardcore, be yeah. extreme Run at the detriment miles. of your own body. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about showing up for yourself, even if it's a small thing. So right. let's say somebody's in a situation where they are at ground zero. Maybe a lot of the people that listen to this podcast have maybe had a yo-yo experience with fitness and nutrition where they're yep. like super hardcore, they're working out, maybe they ran a half marathon and now they're not doing anything at all. And then they have the shame and the guilt mm. from stopping again. And building that momentum is super difficult. So how would you recommend somebody who's at ground zero right now or is just having trouble with that mindset? Like, oh, I don't really enjoy it. I'm kind of at ground zero. I feel bad about myself for stopping again. Mm-hmm. How do I start again and actually make it stick this time so that it's realistic and maintainable? This is actually timely. I, my wife talked me into, I guess she talked herself into getting a puppy. Um, but that came on the heels of me losing my longtime best friend who was a dog I got when I was 20. And I am still, even right now, trying to process those emotions and feeling all kinds of feelings. And for me in this moment, it's been interesting because I have the least fitness motivation that I've ever had. Like I am not motivated to work out. I'm barely motivated to work. 
often days I'm just like looking at my ceiling like, wow, this sucks. I miss my best friend. But basically getting to a place where, I don't know, it's, it's like a core value system. You know, I, I have no interest in looking myself in the mirror and being disappointed with myself. And to me, that is far more exhausting than the three or four hours a week it takes me to train. And so if you are truly at the, the zero place with your training, pick a month starting tomorrow or maybe next week or whatever suits your life and just set a number of workouts goal. Forget about the time that you spend in the gym, forget about the distance traveled, the weight lifted, just focus on working out X number of times and holding yourself accountable to that because per like month or per week, sorry. Yeah. Per month, per week, whatever time domain fits for you. I wouldn't go above and beyond 30 days because then things kind of get, you know, a little bit out of distance, but staying focused on the short term and just saying like, you know, this week I'm going to hit three workouts, no matter what is going to, like you said, get that snowball rolling of energy, bringing about more energy. And I hope what comes to happen with those people is that they start to feel better and then that creates a positive feedback loop. And as I'm talking about this, the second biggest point that I can say for beginners is find a community, which is very difficult, but find a community of people who make you feel awesome and put yourself in that community as often as possible. One of the huge advantages I've had you know, on the other side of the traumatic experience I just went through is that I have this incredible group of people around me who are constantly supporting me, constantly asking me if I'm okay, if there's anything they can do for me, if they can feed me, if they, you know, can distract me. And having that type of network around you goes a very, very, very long way. So finding a gym, especially where maybe you're paying a little bit more, maybe it's a more private environment, but the coaches just fire you up is going to be a huge, huge advantage. And then there's a bunch of like logistical things I would suggest, like keep intensity to a relative minimum. Don't go out the gates. Like I'm going to run 5k five days a week for the next month or do 75 hard. 75 hard is you know, God bless anybody who wants to do it, but it's one of the stupidest things ever. It falls into that category of you're talking to the right audience. Yeah. Right <laughs> it's, it, it falls into the category of like that Goggins mentality. I'm going to do as much as possible and beat myself into oblivion to prove to myself that I'm not a loser. But I mean, you know, aside from the mental health implications that might come about when somebody is like that, it's just not sustainable. It's not productive. A, a better thing to do is to come into the gym and be like, what part of my body do I want to feel better today? That's kind of my approach. You know, I have a program that I'm following, but on a given day, if I show up on Monday and I'm like, wow, my legs feel flat and I'm really embarrassed to wear shorts, I'll just, you know, do some leg workouts and then I feel a little bit better. And that's kind of how my week goes. One of the things that you said, which I'm so sorry for the loss of Cooper. Cooper's Thank the you. absolute best moment yeah. of peace for Cooper because he's, we miss him. My homie. You had already established non-negotiables mm -hmm. before something like that happened in your life. And mm -hmm. I think that's a really important point because let's say you had not been training, you had not been taking care of yourself. And then as life happens, we all experience grief. We experience loss. We experience these moments of like, oh shit, life sucks right now. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have those habits or systems or whatever in place, and then something happens, it's very difficult to all of a sudden pull these tools of self-care out. Right but you already have a foundation. So even though it's feeling super extremely difficult in your life right now, as it should, because you're going through grief, you still have those tools in place. So you can at least pull from that tool belt, which I think is so important for people to understand. This is the time. If right now you're listening to this and you're in a peaceful season of your life, God bless, because life is up and down. It's not going to stay that way forever. The good times don't last. The bad times don't last. Start now. Mm -hmm. 
so that you do have that toolbox that you can pull from. Like I did a whole podcast. I don't know if you listened to it, but it's called self-care when life sucks. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's just about that. Like when you are in the depths of sorrow, like Mm -hmm. whatever the fuck is going on in your life, you have to have tools that you've already put in place. Like imagine you tried to start training right now. Yeah. It'd be a nightmare. Yeah. And I think like the piece of uh, another piece of advice that comes to mind is just use what you have. Like that's something it was so funny. I was on the gym floor working out the other day and Tyler Murko, who's our RMT walked by and I was like, Hey, what do you, what do you think you can guess what I'm listening to right now? And I'm listening to like the saddest boy music of all time, but that's just be, me using what I have. Like I'm not in the mood to rock out and get angry. I'm not in the mood to like have heavy hitters in my ears. I just want to feel what I'm feeling and do what I can. And if more people took on that kind of use what you have mentality and just like, if you're ashamed of yourself that I'm sorry, first of all, but that's a tool that you can use and sort of buttress yourself up against to use as like the thing you're pushing away from. And I feel like people say, when I feel better, I'll do X, but waiting around for that opportunity is, is going to be a very difficult and long process for you. So just use what you have. And just to be clear again, we're not saying don't feel your emotions and just shove it down and go exercise all day long. Right. Like it's so important to talk to somebody, go to therapy, do whatever you need to do to process your emotions. But it's also important to move those emotions through your body by moving your body, like physically getting out of your head because you're thinking about the experience all day long and getting back into your body and just grounding yourself and doing things that bring you joy. And like you said, having a community of people, which I think is something that's lacking so much since especially COVID. Yeah, definitely. And people have gotten into a lot of online workouts and apps and things like this, which are wonderful and they're amazing because if you have 20 minutes, absolutely do an app or do whatever you need to do. Yeah. But do you have any recommendations for finding a community? Because we've been super freaking blessed. But yeah. like, I can just hear the people like, must be nice for you guys to have right. this beautiful community. <laughs> right. I, I would say the first thing you can do is just scour the internet for a coach that you can develop a relationship with. Because obviously I'm pretty biased, but a coach is going to give you access to a community. A coach with one client is probably not the one you should hire. Um, not necessarily, but you know, it's more likely that the the person with a few clients or a dozen or a few dozen clients is going to have a little bit more experience behind them. But finding a group or a coach that you align with means that you'll immediately be entered into their client base as a community member. And suddenly you're intermingling with a bunch of like-minded people. I watched this happen with Bree, who's working with a coach right now. Sorry, as a precursor, my wife fired me and hired somebody else, but that's fine. I fired Mark too and hired Andrew, so it's that's okay. okay. Yeah, um, <laughs> you can't work with your husband. That's but she, work. yeah, you can't work with your husband, and she has just transformed as a human being because she has this group now of twenty or thirty like-minded women who she's interacting with. They're, they're talking about the same things. They have very similar interests. When she meets them for dinner, they're all like maybe having a drink and a water. It's not, it, it's just a network that shares her values. And that's very easy to find if you find a coach that shares your values because they have clients that then also share your values. So that'd be a good place to start. Aside from that, obviously finding a bright, colorful gym that you love to go to is a huge help. Yeah, I would argue that finding a coach is actually more important than finding a gym because I've been part of many different gyms. And unless you have somebody that's holding you accountable to show up for yourself, you can have the best gym atmosphere in the world, but you're not going to know A, what to do, and B, you're not going to be motivated or accountable to continue unless you have like a lot of (laughs) self-motivation and discipline. How do you find a coach? Let's say you were looking for a coach because obviously I'm a coach, you're a coach. Yeah. You could just say hire us because we're the best. Yeah. But like if you, Andrew, were looking for a coach for yourself, what would be the top three most important things that you would look for? 
The most important things I would look for personally is integrity. I, that's like in the core value list of things to uh, be a good husband, be a good man, be a good partner, be a good person. I don't want to work with anybody who doesn't share that value with me just because we're not going to see eye to eye. And I, I, it's not that I lose respect for people because I have respect for everybody, but I'm not going to take advice from somebody who behind the scenes is getting bottle service at a nightclub you know, being a complete nightmare of a human being. So first and foremost, I would look for integrity. Obviously, education is important. I would not specify that formal education is important, but you can tell based on a discussion with somebody whether or not they're going to help you solve the problems that you have. And then the big third one would be someone who motivates you, like someone who you look at, and if they were in the room, you would try harder. Like you need to find a person that you genuinely look up to and and it blows my mind how many people I ask who are your mentors and they're like oh I don't have any it's like okay well you're falling way 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 behind then because a mentor is someone who's made all of the mistakes that you're about to make for you and they can just help you navigate through that so finding a coach with integrity obviously one that motivates you and one with a bunch of knowledge is probably the top three I would think how I would go about finding that person I would probably reach out to people that I know who have worked with people, you know, people I look up to in my life, my mentors, and look for recommendations. When I hired a business coach, that's what I did, and it worked out really well. There's a couple people that come to mind that I would ask, but that would probably be a good place to start. And if you have nobody in your life who is interested in something like this, get on Instagram or YouTube probably because you're going to be able to see video content. I would look for videos of coaches speaking. I think a lot of the time content around coaching is like, here's my five exercise leg day. And like, that's great information, but ultimately this person is your mentor or is going to end up being your mentor. And you want to know that when they approach you with the questions like you had, like, I'm not enjoying this anymore. You don't want them to be like, okay, well, let's... You're doing great. You're doing, smiley face, smiley right, face. Right, right. Um, <laughs> you want someone who's going to get down to the brass tacks of things and kind of push the buttons that, you know, lovingly can be pushed if you have the right communication skills. So ask around, scour the internet, look for people who are knowledgeable and that have integrity. Yeah, and if you're listening to this, obviously you're listening to Andrew and I who are both coaches and right. we have a wide network of people both nutrition and fitness-wise. So if we're not your bread and butter, right. we certainly know somebody who could probably help you. So obviously you are a coach, a fitness coach, and you have mm. many clients and I respect you wholeheartedly. You're the Appreciate kind of person that. that would make me try harder. <laughs> I mean, because you are in the room when I work mm. out. Right. I'm like, fuck, Andrew's looking. He always, I see him like walking from across the gym, coming over to me and I'm like, oh no. Here we go. <laughs> He's about to make me do something way harder than I'm currently doing. Yeah. What's a common struggle that you hear from your clients all the time? Like what's the number one thing that people struggle with and what do you tell them? Motivation. Everybody's like, I'm not motivated. And I believe that motivation is super important. Ultimately, what gets me out of bed in the morning is motivation. It's not... What is motivation? Can you define it? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I don't know that I can define it, but I can provide a synonym. Urgency. You know, motivation is kind of urgency. People, when they say I'm lacking motivation, it's not that they're not motivated. They want what they want, but they just don't have the urgency around it. Wow. That's exactly what you told me. Tell them what you told me about the discomfort thing. Like your life is not uncomfortable enough to want to make it. Right. Yeah. So that's a really cool. Oh, it's a paradox. I just forget what it, what paradox it is, but basically people get caught in this state where it's bad, but it's only sort of bad and it's not bad enough for you to change. And if it were worse, it would actually be better because that would be bad enough for you to want to do something about it. 
Um, like a rock bottom moment. Exactly. That's what people are waiting for. Like the big health scare, or like right. the big, which they don't theoretically want to have happen. Right. But the urgency isn't there unless it does happen because their life is just kind of like, meh, it's comfortable. It's okay. Right. I'm, I'm very stoic. Like I think about the end of my life a lot, especially right now. And that simple thought as hard as it is to chew on is the sole thing that makes me the person that I am. Like I just cannot live with the idea that someday I'm going to lay back in a hospital bed. Well, maybe not a hospital bed. I don't know. Knock on wood. And I'm going to look up at a ceiling and I'm going to have all these opportunities flash through my brain and chances and mistakes and things go through my mind. And I cannot stand the idea that I'm going to lay there and be like, wow, I was not a net positive contributor. Like if you drop a rock in the water, I want my ripples to reach a far way and I want them to be carrying extremely positive and encouraging and forward thinking ideas with them. So it's like your legacy. Yeah, legacy for sure. And I've battled back and forth because a person that I admire greatly, Alex Hormozzi, is like on this big legacy is not real, which is not in the long term. Long-term legacy is non-existent. In two generations, nobody's even going to know your name. But short-term legacy is very real. Like legacy for your family. Right. Yeah. And the impact you can have on the you know, 100 or 200 people nearest to you, that is so real. And what people don't understand, like if we can talk about Cooper for a moment, Cooper is ultimately gone. And my kids will never know who Cooper was except for when we talk about him and except for photos around the house. But his legacy lives on in the way that I know how to care for Tux now and in the way that I now approach my life with a higher degree of presence and focus and care and concern for the people around me because I know that time is more valuable than I've been allowing it to be in my life. And so ultimately his long-term legacy is non-existent, but in the short term, he's changed my behaviors in a big, big way. That short-term legacy is super important and I would advocate for people to have a thought about what they want their short-term legacy to look and feel like for people. This podcast episode is brought to you by Healthy and Happy, The Formula. I am so excited to tell you that I am opening up one-on-one coaching spots for the first time in literally years. Since having my babies, I've been working pretty much on a referral basis with a very limited number of clients. So I've had a few of the same clients for years, They tell their friends and family, I end up working with them, but this is the first time I'm opening up my coaching to the public in almost three years, which is crazy to think about. But if you love this podcast, if you've read my book and you love it, and you want support and accountability in developing a healthier relationship with food and your body, you need to check out my new 12-week coaching program called The Formula. In the formula, we will work to develop consistent habits and routines to increase your self-respect, self-confidence. I'll teach you how to eat to optimize how you want to feel while also enjoying all your favorite foods. We'll work to help you end your struggle with emotional eating and in turn create a really healthy relationship with food. Of course, we're going to talk about how to develop more confidence in yourself, how to trust your body's ability to achieve and keep progress and lasting results, break down all your fears, insecurities, and doubts that are keeping you stuck, learn the mindset hacks that will not only help you achieve your goals, but will help you to continue to see progress for years to come, and learn how to stop self-sabotaging and getting in the way of what you say you really want for yourself. This program is for the woman who wants more out of her life who's sick of waking up every day and spending so much time obsessing about food and her body and wants to instead invest that time 
in healthier habits, routines, her relationships, her career. Who knows what you can do with all that brain space that's currently occupied by food and your body. I would love for you to find out. So if this sounds like something you're interested in, head to juliebuer.com slash apply. That's juliebuer.com slash apply. I'll leave it in the show notes. And as a thank you for being such a loyal listener of the Healthy and Happy podcast, all you have to do is write HH pod in one of the question boxes to let me know you're from the podcast and you get a free bonus call in addition to the work that we're going to do together. So if you want more information, go to juliebuer.com slash apply, fill out the questionnaire. We'll see if we're a good fit. And I look forward to starting work with you in September. Let's do it. I want to talk about relationship to self because you are one of the biggest influences in my life about developing a stronger relationship with myself and Mm -hmm. even just your legacy. I mean, the things you've taught me allow me to be a better coach to the people who are listening to this. So Mm -hmm. I just want you to know that. I appreciate that. And I want to talk about relationship to others as well, specifically showing up as a good man in Mm -hmm. a society that kind of hates men right now. (laughs) Some shade being thrown. Yeah. 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 So let's talk about first the relationship to self and having integrity with yourself and what that looks like to you Mm -hmm. there's so many things that flash to my brain because at the pinnacle of my darkest moment in life my biggest and only issue was my relationship with myself and so i would say that relationship with self is by far the biggest most important thing that a person can focus on and until they have it figured out most things should probably be put on the back burner except for the you know, life obligations you have to make money and take care of your family. There's a million things that are coming to my brain, but one of the big ones is there's this book, As a Man Thinketh, and there's a line in there that we're made and unmade by ourselves, and that in the armory of thought, that's where the weapons we use against ourselves are made and the tools we could use to fix ourselves are made. And that kind of like clicked in my head as I have the tools, I'm just focusing my attention, I'm putting my brain power into the weapons. And as that kind of proceeded and started to unfold and my relationship with myself needed addressing, what I realized was that I had zero evidence that I was the type of person that should be proud of themselves. When I looked in the mirror, I had no, like an opening argument for Andrew's a good man didn't exist, did not exist. And so I spent a shitload of time accumulating so many examples, as many as I could. Like, I'm not kidding. I got complimented at a wedding we just went to because in the bathroom, a stranger watched me pick up the paper towels off the floor and put them in the garbage. But for me, those are the little examples of me versus me or that when I get home, I get to be like, I'm kind of that dude, you know? Like, I'm I'm the person that people can rely on. My family has just gone through a, a bit of a traumatic incident by way of conflict amongst our siblings and it was hard for everybody but at the end of it I just went home and I was like I'm so freaking proud of myself for being the person that can advise people in this type of scenario and that all 100% stems from my relationship with myself when I look in the mirror I see somebody that I trust I see somebody that I can rely on I see somebody that takes care of their family you know and that has obviously come as a byproduct of seven eight years now of consistently showing up for myself and by consistently, I don't mean every day. I mean that on four out of seven, I'm showing up for myself every single week. I try to make it six and I try to make it seven, but 
at least four times a week, four days of the week, I go to home and I'm like, you're killing it. That starts small. It starts by doing your laundry when it needs to be done and keeping your house relatively tidy and eating the right foods and going to the gym when you need to and pursuing better and better career opportunities and learning to say no to things that you don't want to do. But that relationship with self is really the most important, most life-changing thing that I've ever tackled is developing a degree of self-respect that I can be super proud of. I think that that thing, that ability is what has allowed me now to actually be able to care for people as well. So it, it, it's like one has led to the other. So going back to that rock bottom moment mm-hmm. when you were like, I have zero evidence that I'm the type of person that I can trust or rely on or depend on, or I don't, I'm not proud of myself at all. Mm-hmm. What were those initial first steps? Cause I think it's easy in hindsight to be like, Oh, I took all these steps. Like you said, sure. tools versus weapons in the trenches. Somebody's yep. there. They have zero self-confidence or like 0.1% self-confidence. Like what was that initial step that you took? I mean, it, they fall into a category or a bin of steps called mandatory minimums. So I just established principles like drink three liters of water every day. And at the time, or sorry, now it seems inconsequential to do that because it's so part of my routine, but setting that objective and then doing it was enough. And then it was like, okay, go to the gym three times a week. Okay. Did that make $200 a day. That time I was, I had just come home from university. I was with my parents, help with dinner twice a week. Like all these silly little commitments, get up before 10 a.m. Like all of those things are what began the snowball rolling. And so I guess those, those tiny steps are often the ones that people miss. And there's tons of people who are super successful that have no self-respect because they're missing those core values that really help you. And the, the thing that I realized was like, if you show up tired, dehydrated, tired is an exemption for some people. If you show up tired, dehydrated, hungry, hungover, grumpy, uninformed, you're the problem. And so starting to manage some of those, being hydrated enough to not have a headache and eat enough to not be focused on my hunger when I'm interacting with a person, those were the tiny first steps that really helped me. There's a quote I love that says, you are the common denominator in your life. Uh, so you are the person that brings yourself everywhere you go. So right. if it's always like, oh, I find myself, every relationship doesn't work out or I can never stick to anything. It's like, wait a second, let's take a look in the mirror lovingly, mm-hmm. of course, but you kind of have to have that come to Jesus moment. I have a question about that. So you said you started to take note of your non-negotiables, your bare minimums and drinking water and helping your parents with dinner. Were there conscious efforts to celebrate those little wins? Because I think what people get hung up on is they start doing these things, but then they're like, is this even doing anything? Right. They feel silly and insignificant. So did you have those conscious moments of self-appreciation of like, whoa, I'm actually doing this? I'm, believe it or not, quite externally motivated. So that stuff started to come when the people around me started to acknowledge the type of person I was becoming. And they started to acknowledge that because of the type of person I was becoming and the insights that I could provide. I would say default, very pessimistic, very hard on myself, extremely critical. It's not in my natural skill set to reward myself or give myself accolades, which is why I fight back so hard against these negative thoughts. They exhaust the shit out of me all day. And now I'm doing everything that I wanted to do three years ago and they're still present. So I, I suppose, yes, I did take time to acknowledge my wins when they happened. Usually they came as a byproduct of a compliment or some affirmation from other people. But regardless, I use what I have. So if I'm going to look myself in the mirror and be like, you're a loser, you did nothing all weekend. 
I'll come to the gym and kick my ass on Monday to try and utilize that perspective and turn it into something positive. So it's been a bit of both. Yeah, I think there's a fine line between always relying on external motivation. Like if you're living for the approval of others, not saying that's what you're doing, but I think some people can take that away. Like, okay, well, what if nobody's telling me like, good job, good job. Especially if you're, I I see myself at my darkest point. I was very isolated. Mm. There was nobody outside giving me external validation. And I kind of had to pull myself up through the trenches, you Mm -hmm. know? And if I didn't give myself any kind of, hey, sweetie, you're actually doing better than you did last week. I think I would have just crumbled. So it's important to know that what you're saying is absolutely true. It's so good when people start recognizing what you do. And I think sometimes you do have to give yourself those little carrots of, whoa, you actually did this thing. Like you should be proud of yourself. Yeah. And I think that's where those moments where no one's watching matter a lot, right? Like picking up the garbage because it's there, holding the door for somebody, even though there's not going to be the outcome that you want to have happen, happen. Those are the moments where you can go home and have those internal moments of validation where you're like, I did that anyway. Okay. We're back. It died. We're back in action. We're going to fast forward, or I guess change gears to talking about relationships with others, because we just had a bunch of knowledge bombs dropped on us about developing integrity and developing your relationship with self. And obviously you are the common denominator in your life. Talk to me about how your relationship with self equipped you for your relationship with your wife, the beautiful Brie. Until I developed a positive relationship with myself, or at least I should say, until I started to build the routine of developing a more positive relationship with myself, I was ill-equipped to have a relationship with anyone. But what happened was essentially, by the time I met Brie, my cup was quite full and it allowed me to overflow some of that into her cup and to have her cup fill up beside mine, um, which is like a bit of a tacky sort of cliche image, but that's exactly what happened. You know, initially in our relationship, I was, uh, I'm not proud to say this now, but telling her that we were not going to date despite having you know, maybe one or two romantic moments out in public where we kind of caught glances that lasted a little long, just because at that time we had very different interests, very different peer groups, very different ideas of what a Friday night should look like. And her response to that was to basically say, okay, well then what is it that you do that I'm not doing that would sort of advance me further to be a, a more suitable partner, which, you know, it's not like it was like an audition or something, but in a lot of ways it was, you know, like I was I looking mean, you for are auditioning your life partner, right. kind of, I think everybody should kind of do that. Yeah. And I was, I was on the other side of a very interesting number of years with relationships. I went through definitely a longer than I should have womanizing phase as a 22 something, 23 year old. I had some pseudo confidence. I was in an environment where there were many potential candidates and I was a giant loser. And so when I came out the other side of that at, you know, 23, 24, I decided I'm only going to date if I think this girl could be my wife, which turned a lot of people away that I found very quickly that a lot of people were not interested in that. They thought it was too serious. They thought it was lame, but I just had like a policy. I was uninterested in having short-term casual relationships. I was looking for a wife and I was interested in developing that with somebody. So I was very perhaps too direct with some of my feelings, but what ended up happening with Brie was essentially I was at a place in my life where, like I said, I was trying to 
I was just starting to develop some self-respect. I, I saw my life going a direction that I was very proud of going. And I basically just didn't feel like I had the energy to help Brie in a meaningful enough way. And I, maybe I didn't have the patience. But the cool thing that happened was I have now come to this realization that probably unconditional love is probably one of the hardest things in the world to provide because it's unconditional and people are pretty hard to deal with. But what I realized is that, you know, what was unique about Brie is she was consistently herself all the time. I, I had gone on a series of dates kind of trying to find somebody that I wanted to have a more long-term relationship with. And I felt like it was like a contest to see who cared the least. And the whole time Brie was just like, no, nah, we're going to date. I like you a lot. Go Brie. Uh, go Brie. Actually, there's a very funny story that I'll, I'll tell here that not many people know. So Brie and I, uh, she is going on this vacation with a friend of hers and I'm very concerned. I was working at a bar and she came in as a guest and she's telling me this story going on a trip with her friend. And I'm like, you're not even going to make it back. Like, you're a degenerate. You're a party animal. She's like, that's my husband. Foreign country. <laughs> there's no chance you make it back. So actually in that moment... I recognized in myself a fair degree of concern. And I thought that was very interesting. And I remember observing it in that moment thinking, wow, I really care that this girl doesn't get hurt, you know? So that was probably the first flicker of emotion that I felt. And when she got back, we kind of met up and talked. I was actually ironic. She just walked into a place that I was in and we caught up a little bit. And then I like was determined, you're not my type. You're not uh, too much of a project right now. You literally- Not physically. No, not physically, emotionally, um, emotionally and like yeah. uh, logistically, yes. like she lifestyles don't match up up till point. two in the morning, get out of bed at nine 30. Okay. That logistically was right. the issue. And that's where you were a couple years before that. So you before were like, that. And I, I was like, I'm back. not doing this again. Yeah. yeah. And so I called things off with her and then maybe a week or two later, somebody gave me actually their number at the bar while I was working. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go on this date. So I took a girl out on a date. It was my last first date. And I sit down at the table and kind of immediately was like, you know what, this probably isn't my long-term partner, but I was just going to be polite and have a drink and go about my ways. And in walks a woman named Bree to sit down directly beside the two of us. On purpose? On purpose. A no. friend of hers worked at the restaurant that I was at and told her that I was there. <gasps> she came and sat down right beside me, <laughs> put her fist under her chin. No, she didn't. And just stared into the side of my head. Go, Brie. I hope you're listening to this. In that moment, I was just like, I got to marry this girl. Like, I don't really have a choice, first of all. And I just loved the, like I said, I was in this constant feeling that people were trying not to care. So to see someone care so relentlessly, I was like, oh, you know what? That's a person that deserves at least an attempt. Now, in the time that's spread since then, we've uh, we dated for three and a half years and then we got engaged and now we've been married for a year been together five years now and we knew each other for two or three years before that obviously a ton has transpired but the thing that i i'm probably most proud to say and i'm not by any means a perfect husband i made brie cry like two days ago but i think i'm a really great husband and that is like a point of pride for me that i hold on to very very tightly i think that i'm extremely supportive of my wife I think that I provide her the type of sort of guidance and wisdom that she needs to navigate her own life. I remember years ago her telling me, you know, I only have serving experience. I'm never going to be able to be anything other than this. And I was like, literally just go get any other job, go to a bank, go to a store, go get any other job. So she goes to a bank and then next thing you know, she meets a real estate agent and then she's working as an administrator and now she's a real estate agent and she's kicking ass. And so all of that has stemmed from 
me not being preoccupied with my own shit. Like I still go through stuff and she helps me with that. And we talk about things that I'm going through, especially right now with everything that's just happened with Cooper. But what allows me to be a good husband is that I think about her often. I'm trying to make her life as easy as possible so that she can just go about her business and feel prepared and and do whatever. And that's kind of the relationship we've built. It all comes from an agreement with myself that like, I'm going to love her unconditionally. It doesn't, I'm not going to love her when she's in a good mood and then not love her when she's being grumpy. I'm not going to be mad when she's late. I I just have to learn how to love her unconditionally if I'm going to agree to be with her in the long term. So I think that's the thing a lot of relationships lack is a long-term commitment because I think in our society, we have such an easy out Mm. where it's like, oh, well, if I'm not fulfilled here, then let me just get on a dating app. Let me talk to people on Instagram. Let me see what's out there. Mm -hmm. The art of marriage is almost lost. I know you said in the beginning of your relationship, you kind of like, I'm not here for this. I'm not available for this type of whatever right now. And then she kind of called herself forward. Mm -hmm. How do you continuously, I would say, lovingly call each other forward in your relationship to be better? Because it's different. Like Mm. when you're first dating, they're like, I'll do anything to change. Right. And then when you're in the relationship, as you know, (laughs) if like Mark tells me something, I'm like, oh, really? You know? Yeah. At first, but then I soften and I'm like, okay, you actually have a good point. So how do you lovingly call someone forward to continue evolving without being a jerk? I think I, that's probably my, one of my biggest weaknesses is that I don't always do it lovingly. And perhaps even when I do do it lovingly, because I have a tendency to not, it is anticipated to be in a more direct way than it is. And so we are constantly navigating that. Um, But typically my approach recently has been to not say the first thing that comes to my brain. I, for whatever reason, am like very quick to come to the right words. And when I get the words into my brain that I know I should say, I'm like, that's what needs to be said. I'm going to say it. But approaching things like there's so many secret little, like I no longer say the word, but in our relationships in our relationship and And I just say, can you give an example? Yeah. So like, you know, let's say Breeze, like you've been a jerk to me lately, which you just said like three days ago, instead of saying yes, but you know, we just lost Cooper and you made me get a puppy and I'm stressed and work's busy following that up with yes. And there's tons of things that I can do to work on that. Hopefully, you know, one of the things that you can also work on while we're, I'm working on that is X thing. It doesn't eliminate what they've just said. Everything said before the word but is useless information because it's that type of word. So that simple trick goes a long way. Also understanding your partner's love language goes a long way. You know, Brie loves gifts. So like I, as silly as it is, and I like hate clutter and shit, like stopping at HomeSense and getting candles is a huge win for me. And it's actually a simple love language to mediate because gifts are very easy to come by and then the thing that just keeps coming back to mind is unconditional love i think people just don't have any idea what that is anymore they don't know what it means to be unconditional with respect to their effort in life they don't know what it means to be unconditional in their relationships everything is if then if you do this then i'll do that transactional right and there's very few people who are just like no i'm just gonna love you anyway and that's the approach that i've taken and it seems to be working so far do you believe in the one? Do you think there's one person no. for everybody or do you believe it's like... I think you, you build a work? relationship, you don't find one. Mm. So... Can I, you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, like I just like... I had to, got this beautiful piece of advice from a guy I used to work with when I was trying to navigate my relationship with Bree, And I said, I like her. She makes me feel good. I love spending time with her. She's very funny. But I just feel like she's not my type. She's not what I want. And he said, maybe what you want isn't what you need right now. Damn. Damn. Hit me over the head. 
and that understanding and appreciation for the fact that not everything, I don't know, I, every person who was my type, I did not get along with people who had the career motivation that I thought that I wanted from a partner, people who had the family that I thought that I wanted in a partner, the support, the, all of that stuff. I never got along with them. And then this person who is the polar opposite of everything that I ever thought I would find in my wife is my best friend and I love her to pieces. There's never going to be a right person, you know, like maybe there is in the 7 billion people, but do you have time to like surf through everybody and And wait and wait and wait and wait? wait. wait. No, like you're better off to obviously find somebody who checks the boxes that you need checked in some respect or another pleasant uh, a predisposition to being nonviolent would be an important one. All of these other things, but ultimately you are not going to have a happy relationship unless you both have the mindset that we're building something together here. It's like brick by brick. You just insert little pieces of strength and knowledge. And sometimes you rip a bunch of bricks out and things fall, but it's, it's something you build. It's not something that you go and find. At least in my experience, that's that's what it's been. You know, like I said, Brie was not my logistical type. She wasn't. She didn't have the social circle that I thought that I wanted to be a part of. Honestly, her family didn't like me for an extended period of time at the beginning of a relationship. Everything was wrong about what we were doing with respect to what I had envisioned. But there was just this. I don't know, like uh, an ethic of care. Like I said, when I found out she was going on that trip, I was like, "Oh, you care about this person. Like you're actually genuinely interested in her well-being." And I just kind of chased that to the extent now that I have a dog and a marriage. and How important do you think it is to have a vision in your relationship? You just brought up the word vision. Do you guys have like a long-term vision for what you want your lives to look like or your core values as a family? Do you sit down and regularly have those conversations or is it just kind of an understanding? Yeah, we have like every New Year's time we have like a family meeting and we talk about what we want the year to look like and what we want to accomplish and what we did accomplish. And that's really important to us. We definitely have core values that I think are well established and known. I think one of the ongoing jokes in our relationship is that every once in a while, Brie will like act against our core values. And I'm like, Brie, right? Yeah. My core values. Come on. I wouldn't say that it's like an ongoing vision you know board planned executed i think we just try our best to be our best every day and we just have like a very low tolerance for mistreating one another i never ever ever want to make my wife feel like i don't think she's my favorite person on the surface of the earth and i do sometimes oftentimes do that because i'm a bit of a prick um but ultimately that's my objective and i think most of the time that's her objective she has a obviously different upbringing than me different tools in her tool belt with respect to communication and we're navigating some of those things in the same way that we're navigating my issues or shortcomings but i think that brie benefits from whether or not she does or doesn't worry i think she just benefits from knowing that there's not a single person that knows me that doesn't know i love brie you know like every person that knows me is like oh that guy loves his wife so i think that says a lot about our relationship and definitely vice versa like I have not an ounce of jealousy, but that's not because I'm not a jealous person. It's just because my wife loves the shit out of me. And like, she's just not about that type of attention, you know, like that part of our relationship is so well established that we don't preoccupy ourselves with that stuff, which has been great, but it it doesn't come from some grand vision. No. Are there any deal breakers in terms of somebody looking for a relationship or let's say they're already in a relationship? What would be like a deal breaker for you either before you're married or now that you're married too? Uh, reluctance to change is going to be a big one. Whether or not that's a deal breaker, people can come around, but being unwilling to change makes somebody, they're not dynamic anymore. And like the world is ever changing. So 
you're screwed if your partner is not willing to adapt and change. So finding somebody who is willing to change, that's a really big green flag. Obviously, any kind of proclivity to anger. I'm, I'm not angry, but I'm intense. You know, like I speak with intensity. There's a big difference. Being cautious about making sure people don't get fly off the wall angry about stuff. That's going to be really hard for you to manage because obviously that person's emotional regulation is piss poor. And then like, how do you help them navigate that? Uh, maybe too big of a project for any one person. Aside from that, my mind just keeps telling me to say that the best way for you to find a great partner is to be one. And I think if more people just got fixated on like, how can I be the absolute best partner that I can be today, right now, in this moment or this week, we'd see people be a lot happier. And it's something like more than 80% of marriages are initiated by women, which is such an interesting statistic. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's very interesting. And I could be wrong by a factor of 10% in either direction, but it's somewhere in that region. I think what you said that was so important there is be the partner you want to have. And that stems back to our original conversation about self-integrity and continuously showing up for yourself. But what you also said is committing to be the partner you want to be on a daily basis. So can you just give us some examples of ways that maybe you show up for Brie or Brie shows up for you on a daily basis so we have some tangible things that we can start doing for our relationships to make them better? Yeah, I have a thing called the five favors, which is a daily commitment I make with myself to do five things before bed that are going to make tomorrow easier and typically three of them are for brie which is preset the coffee typically i work out in the morning so i end up getting caffeinated in other ways but presetting the coffee for her is a big one again learning to shut my mouth a little bit with respect to not having to say everything like she is notorious for making well i guess i make the coffee in the morning and then she'll have two cups and leave the pot sitting there until 10 p.m which bothers me because I'm very type A, organized, um, meticulous, and just some of those things like just don't need to be said. It's okay to just let them dissipate into the wind. Um, so, so pick, not micromanaging. Yeah, pick your battles. It's hard. As far as like little things, you know, like stopping at the grocery store so she doesn't have to, tons of acts of service, compliments, pretty standard things, but just doing it routinely instead of once we get in an argument. I'm always looking for a way when I'm at home and she's at home, I'm looking for a way to make her next 10 minutes easier, whether that's like trying to have foresight into what she needs and doing it for her or sort of organizing things so that when she's done getting ready, she doesn't also have to come downstairs and like unpack her bag because I've already done that. All of those things are, are really the little micro things that contribute to that. How do you do that without being like tit for tat? Because... I think what the tendency, I'll speak for myself, the tendency I have is like, okay, I'll do this remark, this remark. And then I'm like keeping a running tally in the back of my mind of what is he also doing for me? Mm-hmm. And then my uh, red flag <laughs> is that I will withhold acts of service because I'm like, well, you're not doing it either. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like not intentionally. I think it's almost like a subconscious thing, sure. but I have to actively work to not keep score. Do you find yourself keeping score if you're like, okay, I'm doing all these things for Brie, not saying she's not doing the same things because it sounds like she reciprocates beautifully and I would imagine she does. But how do you not keep score? I just have made an agreement with myself that my love is unconditional. Like I don't, it's such a liberating, like I finally feel like I've loved somebody, you know, to love them unconditionally, to just not give a shit what they're doing and not doing or how they're feeling or not feeling and just no matter what provide them the type of love that they need so that they can continue to succeed. It's a big load to carry, but it feels so good because you're so proud of yourself for, you know, if your wife's hungover on a bathroom floor and it's 10 a.m. and there's a bunch of shit to do and you're just like, no problem. I'm going to go buy the blue Gatorade so I can make her the blue slushie she needs and bring the Advil and 
like those are the moments where you really get to feel the type of self-respect that's rewarding. So it's, I don't, I don't necessarily have advice on how to avoid doing that. I would just tell you that ultimately at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. And there's actually some, some research when you evaluate couples and you ask them what portion of the household obligations they're responsible for, the number always adds up over a hundred percent. Yeah. Both people are like a hundred percent. Yeah. I do 80% of the work. Right. (laughs) Um, and so that means that we must always be misguided. You know, I have no idea the type of stuff that she's thinking about when it comes to me in my life. And to be honest with you, it wouldn't matter if like, obviously I would love for her to think about me more, but my relationship with Brie is a test or an evaluation or a uh, means of measuring my relationship with myself. Am I the type of man that loves his wife unconditionally or am I the type of man that's like, I'll scratch your back once mine's scratched. Wow. That's such a good point. It's going back to the type of person that you want to be regardless of how somebody else treats you. Mm -hmm. And there's a book that that reminds me of called love is a verb. Have you Mm. heard of it? Yeah. Right. But essentially love is an action word. Like it's not just a feeling that you feel that magically generates itself. It's like the more you take care of something, the more you love it. It's like your dog, your car, anything like the more you put into it, the more effort and intention and energy and focus, the more you actually find that you feel more love. But the action is what generates those feelings. You don't, I think the Disney fairy tale is like, we're just supposed to feel this love all the time (laughs) and it's everlasting without taking any action. And if I don't feel that love, it must be the wrong situation, the wrong person, the wrong whatever as opposed to holding up a mirror to ourselves and saying, am I taking the actions to show love? And how do I expect love to be reciprocated if I'm not showing it? Mm -hmm. And beyond the reciprocation, am I showing up as the type of wife or husband that I imagine myself being the highest version of myself? So love what you just said. Amazing. Let's end this with talking about masculinity because we had a brief conversation about this off camera, off microphone. A lot of people hate men right now, and it makes me sad because I have two young, innocent boys with huge feelings, and I can only imagine as they grow up, they will face the same challenges, and I have such a soft heart for men now because I'm raising two men. Right. What has been your experience with that in today's society of men hatred? I don't make myself an easy target. So it's I don't experience much disdain for masculinity in my life, mostly because the people that I'm around don't feel that way. And the people who I am around that do feel that way don't feel that way about me or the men that I know. That being said, I think a lot of men make themselves very easy to hate. Um, and that comes as a byproduct of not having tools in their tool belt. I think one of the big advantages women have compared to men is that there is an, a more open floor for dialogues about emotion. And emotion is so much of what we experience as human beings that if you don't spend your life or some portion of your life talking about navigating, thinking about, communicating about emotions and how they feel and how they play themselves out in your life, you end up in a very overwhelming place behind your eyelids. And going through the worst of what I went through, that was exactly what was happening. I had no real person in my life to communicate deeply with. And I think that a lot of men have like deep thoughts about how they feel and just no resources or feelings or tools or people around them to be able to communicate about that. So as far as like correcting for this, I think it's tough because my dad, for example, if I ask my dad how he's feeling, the answer is good. You know, if I ask him, how's his work life going oh it's not bad you know it's work they don't actually even have the skill set to communicate about their feelings which is extremely difficult when you're obviously raising boys you can teach them and expose them to a different way of thinking about emotion it's very sad to see i hate the use of the word toxic masculinity because i think that it's a it's too much of a generalization 
I think there are things about masculinity that can be toxic, but I don't think masculinity is toxic. I think masculinity is something all of us admire, no matter who you are or how you identify. I think that someone who provides, somebody who's honest, somebody who has integrity, somebody who is willing to work extremely hard, all of those characteristics that are traditionally, not to say that women don't do those things, but that are traditionally you know, within a good man, quote unquote, um, those are all things that I think we should all be looking to see more in the world. And so I'm, I don't know, I'm, I, my way of dealing with it is to try and be an example for as many young men and grown men as I can to have these types of discussions, to maybe investigate feelings and, and thoughts more deeply, because I think that is sort of the best way to have an impact. And like the rock dropping in the water is to just be an example, you know, set a standard and hope that other people come around and, and want to honor that standard. So... Yeah, we talk a lot about expanders on this podcast and what an expander essentially is, is a person who shows you what's possible. Mm. So the reason I wanted to bring you on to talk about relationships, specifically your relationship with self, your relationship with your wife, your relationship with masculinity and how society is viewing masculinity at this point is because I want these women to see that it's possible to have or find good men. Mm-hmm. I'm exactly on board with you. Like the men that I surround myself with are good men. Mm -hmm. And so when I hear about toxic masculinity, it makes me very sad because the men that I see, if I'm projecting that onto them, A, it's not true because they're good men. Mm -hmm. But also I think it devalues the humanness of a man. Yeah. We're all broken people, you know, like, yeah, they have, you have just as many feelings as I do, right? but you're taught to shove them down. Whereas we're taught to go to dinner and chat about it. Right. So what do you think happens when you suppress emotions for so long? Yeah, I know what happens. You yeah. Know, you end up being destructive a, behaviors, looking in a per, about a person in the mirror and you don't even know who they are. Yes. You know, you're acting out of pure escapism. Everything right. you do is to not feel something. And that's what I think gets a lot of young men into trouble with, you know, all the high dopamine activities like video games and drugs and alcohol and sex. Like those are all escapist tendencies to not have to deal with the complexity of life. And I think the best advice that you can give to a young man is to like pick up a heavy stone. That saved my life is just understanding that the reward system in my body is a byproduct of volunteering myself to obligation and then doing a great job at it. And I think if we just encourage more men to understand that they're not sad because they're sad, they're sad because they're not carrying a big enough burden, you know, like they're not obligating themselves to a meaty enough task, then we're going to be in a scenario where we have a lot of weak, coward-like escapist men out there. And there's lots and lots and lots of those. So I don't know. I, I would just say, you know, regardless of your perspective, and I'm certain there are tons of people who might be listening to this that have just had gut-wrenchingly bad experiences with men. And I'm I, one of those. Right. Yeah. I, I have, there are women on the surface of the earth who have had gut-wrenchingly bad experiences with me. But there needs to be an element of understanding that we are all human. We're all like, I am an idiot for better or for worse. I'm doing my best. I'm trying to navigate things, especially as a young man, you know, like your brain's not fully developed till you're 25. So not that that's an excuse, but you're op- you're playing from way behind for a few years where people are looking at you like you're an adult, but you're what also you mega impulsive and right. like not quite thinking the right way. So I would say be patient with the young men in your life and just set the standard. You know, like if, if there's a good man that you know, tell him to talk louder. If there's somebody that you think can be a good example to young men out there, 
support them in any way that you can so that they can continue to be that person for your community. And I hope that what can happen is like we talked about earlier with respect to short-term legacy, there can be huge outcomes that come as a byproduct of a bunch of young people meeting somebody who is forward thinking and, you know, quote unquote, a good man. I love this conversation. It changed my life. I know that everybody listening, it will hopefully change their lives as well. If it did change your life, please share it with somebody else. Share it with a young man while we're at it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's just share this one with the fellas, okay? Yeah. So hey, ladies, can, is hey the ladies. intro. And they're going to be like, what is <laughs> this? Like, nope, turning it off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do have 10% of listeners that are men. Oh, nice. Yeah, so, yeah, you, you know, we're, we're diversifying over I here. I like that. Um, is there anything that you want to leave our audience with? Men or women, it's 90% women. So let's speak to the ladies. What is the one piece of advice that you would want somebody to take away from this podcast huh. or from your life in general? She's going to need to edit this because I'm going to have to think about this. The one piece of advice I would want to hang my hat on. I, I think I'm just going to fall back to deserve what you ask for. If you do not have something currently in your life that you wish that you had, you are much better off to begin the process of deserving it before you get it. And that is in turn going to increase the likelihood exponentially that you actually get that thing. That's how I found a relationship that I'm happy to be in. That's how I became the person that I wanted to be was to begin deserving that opportunity well before it was ever given to me. So deserve what you ask for. God bless Andrew. God bless men like Andrew. I want to keep exposing you guys to amazing people. And that's why, you know, I, I rarely have guests on here, but I knew Andrew needed to be the next person that was on the Healthy and Happy podcast because he's changed my life in many ways. And I know that if you're in his circle, he will change your life as well. So if you're looking for a coach, Andrew does have a wait list. You can head to what? Athletefarm.com? Yeah, you can go to athletefarm.com, athletefarmtrainingstory.com. Uh, you can go to my Instagram page, Andrew Wilhelm underscore. I'll put it all yeah. in the show notes. Um, you'll find me if you want to find me. But yeah, just send me a message or whatever and we'll go from there. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having you. me. Hey, do me a favor. If you like this episode, please head to iTunes and leave a review so more people can find the podcast. Be sure to tag me on your Instagram story so I can show you some love for listening. See you soon.